Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. We've been talking about the city of God and it's a layered, a multi-layered picture in the Bible. There was a real city called Jerusalem. Obviously, most of us have heard of it. It's ancient, an ancient city. And it represents the heavenly city. In Revelation 21 and 22, it talks about the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, which is a picture of heaven. And then now, in between the original earthly Jerusalem and the heavenly Jerusalem, we live in this in-between time where our lives can be like a city, our families can be like a city, and our churches can be like a city. And so the last four or five weeks, we've been speaking about the city and all that it involves and includes. And today I want to speak about the gates of the city. Because in Nehemiah chapter 3, it's a long chapter, 32 verses long, and it's a list of names, as I said last week, and it talks about everybody getting involved and building the city. But in the midst of all of those verses, it mentions 10 gates. And the gates of the city represent the ways that outsiders can come in to our city, to our church to our family, to our personal lives. We've got to have gates that are open so that people feel welcome. Have you ever been to a church where you don't feel welcome? Where it's obvious that it's a little clique. There's a verse, a a passage in Psalm 24 where it says, lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. And that's what I want to speak to today. You are a gate. I am a gate. It's not somebody else's job to be the gate. Each one of us is a gate, and I'm going to list 10 of them today, and you can look at those 10 and you can say, yes, that's me. But we've got to lift our heads up. Be lifted up. Lift up your heads, your ancient gates. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, lift up your eyes. The harvest is white, but the laborers are few. Lift up, look out there. Stop looking at your own navel. Stop being so internally focused and concerned about you and look out there. Lift up your heads, O you gates. And the promise of scripture is when you and I, as gates of God's city, lift up our heads and and be welcoming and outward looking, the King of glory comes in. Not just other people come in, but the King of glory himself comes into our midst. In verse 1, the first gate mentioned is the sheep gate. This was a real gate. And it was the gate where the shepherds brought the sheep in. Why was sheep Why were sheep a big part of life in those days? Because of the sacrifice system. So the shepherds would come up from Galilee with all their flocks and there's bleating and there's little lambs and there's old cantankerous sheep and there's everything in between and they're headbutting each other and making weird noises and the shepherd comes in with his crook with a, a round top and he's herding them and he goes ahead of them and says come along I don't know exactly what he says in Hebrew whatever his word is and they all hear his voice and they listen and they follow and he brings the sheep and there was one gate in Jerusalem that was dedicated to the sheep coming in they would then be taken to the temple 
and the spotless year-old male lambs were slaughtered as a sacrifice and people realized this is God covering my sin. Now Jesus said, I am the gate and you and I need to come through the gate but then you and I become the gate. Let me say that again. Jesus is the gate. You and I need to come through the gate, but then you and I become the gate to other people. So how is Jesus the gate? Do you remember when Jesus started his earthly ministry? He came to the banks of the Jordan River and John the Baptist was baptizing. John the Baptist looks up and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb. He is the sheep. He died, he was the spotless, perfect lamb who died for us and his blood covers us that we can be forgiven of sin. Jesus is the gate, the sheep gate. You and I need to come through the sheep gate. We need to come and say, Lord, you are the sacrifice. You remember at the Passover in Egypt, the Israelites had to paint the doors with the blood of the lamb to say, yes, this is for me. I, I accept God's sacrifice for me that the angel of death should pass over. You and I need to say, Lord Jesus, you died for me. But then we become the gate. We are a place of a flock, welcoming, pastoral, shepherding, loving community. People come and they find a smiling face, they find an understanding ear, they find a hug, they find people who care and who are willing to let you belong. And that is what the sheep, sheep gate is all about. And this is the first way people will come into our church, into your family and into your personal life. You might have read the book How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie and it's probably full of good principles but I want to tell you God's principle for winning friends and getting people into your life is number one be a, a, a flock type of person let people flock to you because there's a pastoral understanding loving family atmosphere and I think we have that but maybe that's you maybe you're one of the sheep herders the shepherds are you Maybe you are part of the sheep gate. The second gate is called the fish gate in verse 3. What happened here? The fishermen brought their fish in the fish gate and they would catch the fish and they would bring them in in their big containers, whatever it was, maybe dragging nets of fish and they would bring them to the market and they would sell their fish. And this is a, a massive picture in especially Jesus teaching fish. I want to just briefly now tell you a story about Peter. Peter in Luke chapter 5 is standing on the shores of the Galilee Lake and it says there were multitudes of people crowding around Jesus and Jesus sees the crowds and in his mind he likens them to fish. Why do I say that? Because when he had preached to them and caught some of them, they now believed in him, he then turns to Peter and he says, from now on you will catch men instead of fish. And Peter, 
goes from being a fish that needs to be caught. He's one of the multitude listening to Jesus. Jesus takes Peter's boat and goes and preaches on it and then tells him to throw out his net and he catches a miraculous catch and the fish are, bringing, are brought in so, in so huge quantities that the net is breaking and the boat is sinking and Peter falls on his knees and he says, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, follow me, and I will, from now on you will catch men. And it says he forsook everything and he followed Jesus. Peter was a fish who became caught, but then he became a net that caught other fish. Jesus is the fisher. You and I have to be caught, and then we have to become fishers of men. This is the gate that we have to have in our church. And this talks about intentional evangelism where we make a plan to try and get people to come and know Jesus either in our services or outside gate number three is called the old gate in verse 6 or the ancient gate this was the oldest gate the first gate of Jerusalem ever built it speaks of old times people who remember Jerusalem from years before 70 years before before the captivity they knew about this gate the ancient gate it was built into their memory of tradition upon tradition upon tradition that's the oldest gate and there are people who will come into our churches because they remember something of Christ from when they were a little child or their family traditions or Sunday school Jesus is the gate he says that he was there from the beginning. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is that ancient gate. He is the old ways, the, the, the one from the beginning, from before time. Jeremiah 6 says, walk the path and look for the ancient paths where you will find rest for your souls. And there is a place where you and I have to come to Jesus, the ancient of days, and we have to say, Lord, teach me those timeless old truths, those traditions that are still true. And then we become a gate where we bring people in through just the old memories they have of Christ. Just about everybody has a memory of God from when they were a child. And we can be the gate that brings them in. And we say, remember that God you knew when you were five, six, seven years old. You can still know him today. We have traditions. And admittedly, we are not a very traditional church. But there are traditions that we can, we can bring people in through. Jesus said, though, in Matthew 15, we must never let tradition override the commandments of God. So tradition is useful, but it never stops us from obeying something that God tells us to do. But still there's a place for the old gate. Maybe that's you. Maybe you relate to old people. You know, there are old age homes all over the place. The population of Europe and America and Japan and many parts of the world is aging. There are more old people than young people. And it is a harvest field for us to win people to Christ. We bring them in through the old gate. We say to them, do you remember that old hymn you used to sing? Do you remember those, those lessons you used to learn as you were a child? And we tell them about Jesus and they come into the city of God. Maybe that's you. The next gate is the valley gate in verse 13. There's a valley, the valley of Hinnom that comes down and at the end of the valley there's a gate into Jerusalem and this speaks about the the valley of the shadow of death the valley of sadness and suffering 
Jesus is the gate. He went through sufferings. The Bible says he was a man of suffering acquainted with grief. He was pierced for our transgressions. He took the suffering and punishment that brought us peace. He knew what it was to suffer. And then he comforts us. 2 Corinthians 1 says, we are comforted by God. And then it says, and we comfort others with the comfort we've received. We've got to come through this gate of suffering where instead of suffering turning us away from God, it turns us to God. And we say, Jesus, you know what it is to suffer. You turn all things together for good. You use suffering to make me more like you. And then when we are comforted and healed and counseled, we counsel others. And many of you will bring people into the family of God through being a counselor for those who are suffering. I want you to just pause and just say, Lord, is that me? Am I that gate? Have I been through something traumatic? Can I reach out to somebody else? The next gate is the dung or the refuse gate in verse 14. This was where all the rubbish of the city was removed. And Jesus became rubbish for us. You know, he was crucified at the rubbish dump of Gehenna, where all the rubbish of the city was was piled up. That's where Jesus was crucified. He became the refuse of the world, even though he was righteous, so that we could become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Jesus is the gate. We come through the gate and we say, Lord, take all my rubbish. Isaiah 64 says, even my righteous deeds are like filthy rubbish. And I say, Lord, take it all. And he cleanses us. And if you haven't been cleansed by Jesus, if you haven't gone through a process of repentance, of saying, Lord, I get rid of that, get rid of that, forgive me of this, I throw that away. If you haven't gone through that, you probably are not yet in the city of God. But once we've gone through it, we help others to get rid of their rubbish. And we take what the world throws away. You know, the down and out people of the world, the refuse of society. We say our, our doors are open and our hearts are open wide. Come on in, whoever you are. Amen? Maybe that's you. Maybe you're the person who reaches out to those that nobody else wants to touch. The leper comes to Jesus. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He says, I am willing. And he touches the leper. Jesus loves those that the world rejects. That's the next gate. Then there's two gates close to one another, the fountain gate and the water gate. The fountain gate is a source of fresh spring water. And you probably know what this means. Jesus said to the woman at the well, the woman comes to the well looking for fresh water. Jesus said, if you drink the water I give you, it will become a fountain springing up within you. We've got to have the Holy Spirit, the fountain of living water in our midst. You know, people come from the world where the world offers all sorts of things to try and dull their pain and heal their hearts. We've got to have something better, which is the fountain of living water. The woman at the well had been married five times and she tried to solve the pain in her heart. And Jesus said, it's living water that will, that will heal your heart. We've got to have miracle power. We've got to have the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the fountain of living water. In John 7, 37, he said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me. And out of his heart will flow streams of living water. 
Jesus is that, that gate. We have to come through the gate and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't been, you need to ask him for it. And I'd be happy to pray with you today. But then we need to offer it. In the supermarket, in the street, in the workplace, we pray for people. We're led by the Spirit. And we lay hands on people and miracles happen because God's Holy Spirit wants to touch the world. Lift up your heads, you gates. Don't just think Holy Spirit is for church only. It's for everywhere and everybody. Are you with me so far? We're nearly there. We've only got a few more to go. The water gate was a place of cleansing. It was a pool of cleansing. There was a gate near a pool and people would come and be cleansed and washed. And this speaks of the word. Jesus heals us and cleanses us by his word. Ephesians 5 verse 26 says he washes us with water through the word. And the reason it's similar to the fountain gate is because the Bible, the word without the power of the Holy Spirit is meaningless. So it's, it's the word of God with the Holy Spirit's power. It cleanses us, it renews our minds, it heals our thinking, and it helps us to move forward. John 15 verse 3, Jesus said, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And so we have to speak the word of God. I must just read to you a little passage about this water gate. A few chapters later in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8. It says, now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded Israel. So they got the Bible near the water gate. The water gate is the word of God. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men. They could hear with understanding. Verse three, he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Jesus is the Word of God. We already mentioned that in John 1 verse 1. He says the Word was with God in the beginning. But then he puts it in the Bible. The Word and Jesus are not different. They're not arguing with each other. They are the same. The Bible says that your Word is settled forever in heaven. God's Word, Jesus, is in the Word. But then we've got to come through this Word. We've got to let the Word cleanse us and change us. And then we become the Word. When you speak the Word, when you broadcast it out there, people come into the city of God. But listen to this, verse 4. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood a whole lot of guys. I'm not going to read all their names. And verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then he reads the word and he explains it. He says he made the sense of it plain so they could understand it. And the people were weeping and rejoicing at the same time. Verse 10, he said, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord God. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord 
is your strength. Friends, if we leave out the Word of God gate, the water gate, our city is incomplete. If you haven't gone through the Word of God gate and allowed God's Word to change you, you are not fully in the city of God. And then we've got to bring people in through the Word and the water gate. Right, there are three last gates. And they're very close to each other, and they're all facing east. They're near the temple. So there's the horse gate. This was where the, the armies on their horses would ride out of this gate to go and do warfare outside of the city. And there is a place, Jesus is the rider on the white horse. Revelation 19, it says he's riding on a white horse. His name is faithful and true. And behind him are all of those dressed in white robes. That's us. And you might be a spiritual warfare person. And I want to tell you, it is vital when you pray and you do warfare. Remember we said last week, our warfare is no longer stabbing people with swords. It's we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. When you do warfare in prayer, you are bringing people into the kingdom of God. You've got to come to the rider on the white horse, Jesus. You've got to say, Lord, I'm one of your willing troops. Psalm 110 says your troops will be willing in your day of power. We've got to say, Lord, I'm one of your army. But then we've got to do spiritual warfare to try and pray and bring the people in. And I want to tell you, I believe it is the most powerful way we can bring people into the kingdom of God. The East Gate is the one that leads directly into the temple. This is such an interesting gate. I don't have time to talk about it in detail now. But do you remember in Ezekiel 47, he has the vision of the river of life flowing out of the temple. And as it flows, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And then it flows into the Dead Sea and all the fish are made alive. Do you remember that story? It says it comes out of the East Gate. And the East Gate is the one that looks right onto the Mount of Olives. And Ezekiel 44 says that the Prince, Jesus, will come back through the East Gate. When he comes again the second time, he will come to the Mount of Olives and he will walk through the East Gate. And he came through the East Gate when he came uh, on the last week of his life. And there's an amazing prophecy in Ezekiel 44 about how that gate will be closed up until the Prince comes. And that gate, if you go to Jerusalem now, the East Gate is closed and blocked up. And it will not be open until Jesus comes again. But the East Gate for us speaks of looking out to the East. You know, Israel is right on the Mediterranean Sea. And the only way that it looks out to the rest of the world is to the East. And the East Gate speaks about looking out to the rest of the world and being open to the nations. And realizing Jesus is coming back. But only, Matthew 24, after we've preached the gospel to every nation. We've got to be looking out to the east, always saying, what nations? It's not just my nation. It's not just my people. What about those who've never heard in other countries to the ends of the earth? We've got to be looking out to that. And then lastly, the last gate is called the Mifkad gate in some translations. In other translations, it's called the muster gate, the assignment gate, the inspection gate. Basically, it was a gate where all the soldiers would line up for inspection and the commander would come and he would inspect the ranks and then he would give them orders. And it speaks about the judgment day. Jesus is our commander in chief. We line up for inspection. He watches us carefully. He says, yes, that's good. No, that's not good. Now this is your assignment. Go and do it. And there is a place, there is a place in our church life 
in our city life. Not just for saying, oh, judgment day will never happen. But for saying, judgment day will happen. Lord, I'm ready. Judge me now in advance. What do I need to change? And what are your instructions? What is my assignment? What must I do, Lord? And he says, go and do this. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, it says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what we have done in the body. But then the very next verse says, Because we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. There is a place for us to say, Lord, I know there's a judgment day. I'm going to judge myself and allow you to judge me now. And because of that, I'm going to try and reach the lost. And you say, how is that a gate? How does judgment day bring people in? I'll tell you what it is. When you are out there in the world and you're living for a higher purpose than what the world is living for. When you're living not just for money and pleasure, but because there's a judgment day one day. And people see in you a higher purpose. They say, this person has values that are different. There's something about them. I, I realize they're living for something bigger than themselves. I want this. And I want to tell you that businessmen, and especially high-powered businessmen who run large businesses and who have a lot of money, I've seen so many impacted, not by the sheep and the community, not by the fishing, not by the sorrows, not by the, all the other gates. It's by saying there is a purpose in life that is more important than this world has. And I want that. I want the, the commander-in-chief to inspect me and give me a purpose to live for. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.